Well, I wonder, are you ready for battle? Yes. <laughs> Said it, it's great. <laughs> and Jean, sorry. Um, actually, as Christians, you may think, well, no, Christian life, we're not about um, fighting wars and so on. Of course not. But we are in a battle. Um, in Romans, um, we've been looking at recently, Romans chapter um, 13, verse 12, it says, um, put on the armour ready as you wake up in the daytime. We, we live with a certain hope, a confidence that we're going to be with God in eternity, we're going to be in his home, and yet we're still living now in a world where sin is there, where there's evil about, where there's pressures and difficulties and frustrations. Are we ready for battle? And if you're going into a battle, are you equipped for it? If we send our troops out to fight in Afghanistan and we only gave them bows and arrows, there'd be an outcry, wouldn't there? And yet, I guess for many of us as Christians, we go into life, maybe not realising that it's a battle, but all we're taking is a plastic sword rather than a, a proper equipment. Because God has given us the Bible as part of the armour we need to live our lives as Christians. Um, in Ephesians 6, it talks about it as the sword of the Spirit. Um, and it's a passage where it says that we need to put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The devil wants nothing more than to trip you up, to push you into sin, to push you into disobeying God. And that's a constant threat. Peter talks about the devil prowling around like a lion ready to devour us. And as Christians, we have everything we need to resist the devil, but we need to put it on. We need to put on the armour of God. We need to take his word seriously. And you see, Jesus, when he was faced with the devil, how does he respond when he's got those temptations to do what he knows God doesn't want him to do? as he's preparing himself um, for his ministry ahead and ultimately for his death on the cross and resurrection. What does he turn to to defeat Satan? He turns to the Bible. Every word that Jesus says in Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 13, apart from the words that is written or it is said, comes straight out of the Old Testament, came straight from the Bible. If we want to defeat Satan, we need to know our Bibles. But you might look at this passage and think, well, what does that mean? How do we do it? Do we, do we have to memorise special verses in the Bible in the, and work out which one to use when we're being tempted by things? And you might think that sounds a bit difficult. It sounds like trying to pass the GCSE or A-level or Kent Test or whatever. Um, am I really going to be able to do it? It sounds a bit complicated to me. That, that seems to be what, what Jesus is doing here, isn't it? Well, actually, that's not quite what's going on. Uh, these verses are really summaries of the lessons from the Old Testament. They, they help to draw out the understanding and the teaching of the stories of the Old Testament. And stories are much easier to remember and much easier to apply to life, aren't they, than particular words or phrases or verses or laws. Uh, so let me show you how this works, what Jesus is doing here. You see, Jesus isn't just quoting from the Bible every time. He's actually quoting from a very small part of the Bible. Um, if you're looking at the quotes earlier on, you'll see that they're all from Deuteronomy chapter 6 or chapter 8. 
And Deuteronomy is a book in the Bible, it's a letter in the Bible, where Moses is, at the end of his life, just before Israel about to enter the Promised Land, is looking back on all that's happened to Israel. How God has um, rescued them from slavery in Egypt by sending the ten plagues, has brought them across the Red Sea by parting the waters, has led them through the wilderness and given them these laws, the Ten Commandments, and, and helped and brought them eventually and safely to the edge of the Promised Land over 40 years. Moses is looking back on that last 40 years and is saying to Israel as they prepare for the future, for living in the land, what are the lessons we need to learn? What do we need to know from all of that? And so that's what Deuteronomy is about. And as Jesus is preparing for his ministry ahead, for his battles ahead, just as Israel preparing for battles to go into the promised land, as Jesus is spending not 40 years but 40 days in the wilderness, he's looking and reflecting what Moses had to say. And he's learning the lessons from that. And as he learns the lessons from that, he's able to resist the temptations of Satan. Actually, in Deuteronomy, at chapter 8, verse 2, uh, Moses says this to Israel, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart whether or not you would keep his commandments. Israel often failed, but Jesus didn't fail. Jesus learnt the lessons from the Bible, and he used those lessons to help him resist the temptation of Satan. So let's look at that in a bit more detail. We'll go through the three temptations very quickly one more time. So the first temptation... Um, Satan says to Jesus, why don't you turn this stone into bread? You're very hungry, you haven't eaten for 40 days. And turn this stone into bread so that you can eat and satisfy your hunger. You're the son of God, you can do it. But Jesus has been reading about Israel. And you know, Israel, um, they got rescued from Egypt, they came out of Egypt, they got through the Red Sea, they saw God's amazing miracles, they saw God was doing something really fantastic and amazing with them in rescuing them from Israel. And as soon as they got into the wilderness, what was the first thing they did? They complained, and they grumbled, and they said, it's not that nice here in the wilderness. There's no water. There's no food. You see, their focus wasn't on the great vision, the great prospect, the great future that God had in store for them. They weren't excited to be about to come and worship God and to become truly God's people. They were just focused on what their stomachs were saying. They wanted to listen more to their stomach than they wanted to listen to God. And God was good. God did provide water miraculously. God did provide food. He sent manna from heaven um, so that they found food every morning on the ground that they could eat and look, up, look after and support them. But in the very next verse, after the one I just read from Deuteronomy, Moses, reflecting on that, says this. He says, he humbled you, causing you to hunger, then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known to teach you, this is the lesson from the story, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, that Israel was so focused on food when they should have been focused on God's. Jesus says, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, then all these other things, money, food, clothes, will be given to you as well. 
Israel should have trusted that God would provide, and instead of worrying about the food, focused on what God had to teach them. And and so when Satan tempts Jesus to to worry more about his hunger than to God's words, Jesus responds, man does not live on bread alone. True life comes from hearing God's words and living by it. I wonder about us. Are we more about our stomachs or about God's word? Are we more worried about our bodily desires or about finding true life and what God has to offer? That can show itself in quite small ways, can't it? You may know that to um, be able to pray and read the Bible and in a particular morning you need to get up slightly earlier. And yet laying in bed on a cold autumn day is much nicer and cuddlier and comfier than getting up and reading your Bible. Are you willing to forego that slight comfort in order for God's words? That's one end of the spectrum. The more serious end of the spectrum is maybe someone who enters into an affair um, because they're sexually drawn to someone else and so they destroy their family life and their marriage. Are we going to listen to God's words and his truth or allow our bodily desires to control us? True life comes from hearing God's words and following him. The second temptation is this. Um, Satan shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and he says to him, look, I can give you all of these. All you have to do, very easy, not difficult, just bow down and worship me. In other words, make me God in your life. And again, Jesus has been reading about Israel. He's been reading the Old Testament. And again and again in the Old Testament, um, God who has given Israel the land to live in, the promised land, the kingdoms, if you like, they defeat all the kingdoms. They become rulers of those kingdoms. They have their own kingdom. And yet what do they do again and again? They forget God and start worshipping other gods. And so this beautiful thing that God gives them becomes a disaster because they turn to other gods. They worship the wrong gods. And Moses, in Deuteronomy, warns them against that. He says, when the Lord brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, and he tells them how wonderful the land is. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods. And you see, Jesus, once again, has learnt this lesson. Even though for Jesus, it would be the easy route to worship Satan and to become ruler of all the kingdoms of the world, rather than go to the cross, which is what God wanted him to do. Jesus knew that no matter how much power you have, you can't use it wisely or for good unless you make God your king and God your Lord. We might have opportunities to grab power We may have opportunities to um, become more important in our workplace, in our families, in our social circles, even in church. Um, But if we're doing that Satan's way rather than God's way, then it will end in disaster. It will ruin you and it will ruin others. All of us have some sort of power in our lives, some more than others. It may be in the workplace, it may be in the family, it may be in the church. But will you keep God as your Lord in that situation? 
Uh, and that means resisting the, uh, the pressures to compromise, maybe. Maybe you're in a workplace, maybe you're, you're leading there, and there's pressures to sort of to cut corners that you know you shouldn't cut, to, to fiddle the taxes or the accounts you know you shouldn't fiddle. Will you stand up against those temptations to take the easy route and, and not stand out from people and not compromise in order to live God's way? Or will you compromise and take Satan's way? Will you in the family um, seek to, to love your children and to be patient with them, um, even though that can be frustrating, rather than sort of turning straight away to sort of to bashing them and whacking them and shouting at them, because that seems a quicker way of dealing with them? Will we live God's way in the power positions we have? Will we take the simpler and easy routes? Jesus knew the lessons from the Bible. He knew the stories of the Bible. When people failed to put God as number one in their lives, when they failed to put God as king, disaster follows. And so he quotes from Moses' warning, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And finally, Moses takes Jesus... Sorry, not Moses. Satan takes Jesus to the top of the temple pinnacle in Jerusalem. And um, he says, look, God says that he will protect you. He quotes from a psalm, psalm, I think it's Psalm 91, and he says, um, look, if, if you throw yourself down from here, then God says he'll protect you. He'll send his angels to look after you. They'll stop your feet even from hitting the stones on the ground. Why don't you see if God's really true? Why don't you see if God's really there, if God really will protect you? And Satan's quoting the Bible. Surely this is right. Surely this is a biblical thing to say. If someone tells you that what they're telling you is biblical, it's in God's word, don't automatically believe them. People can twist God's words. You need to look at the whole Bible and know the whole Bible. And see, Jesus went back again to Israel and again to when they first got into the wilderness. Um, and there was an incident when they were demanding water because they were first to. And Moses says that they were testing God. They, they didn't believe that God was really with them. They wanted God to show them that he was with them by giving them the water. Um, and so he named the place where it happened. He named it Massa, which means testing. And as Moses looked back on that incident in Deuteronomy, he says, look, learn the lesson. Do not test the Lord your God as you did at Massa. Trust that God is there, that he will provide for you. He will look after you. You were so worried that God wasn't there that he wasn't going to give you the water, but he did. You need to trust God. Trust that he's there. Don't put him to the test. Believe in him. And for Jesus, who knew that he had to go through his ministry ahead of him, that he had to go to the cross, he had to trust that God would bring him through that to the resurrection. Everyone else was telling him that he was mad. Even when he hung on the cross, people were telling him, um, where's your God now? Jesus trusted God. He trusted his heavenly father that he would bring him through, and he did. Three days later, he rose him from the dead. The resurrection proved that God was true. Jesus learned the lessons from Israel's history. Do not test the Lord your God as you did at Massa. And so Jesus has victory over Satan. Jesus wields the sword of God's word and deflects the temptations of Satan, and so he has a victory that is not only his victory, but ultimately our victory because of the cross and the resurrection. But if Jesus needed to use God's word to defeat Satan, if Jesus needed to learn the lessons from the story of Israel's past, 
then how much more do we need to learn this? Do we take God's word seriously? Do we want to learn and know the stories and hear what they mean for us today? Do we make a, a, a commitment to, to come regularly to hear God's word spoken or preached at church? Do we read it for ourselves regularly, day by day? Do we meet with others to study God's words? There's all sorts of opportunities to study God's word. We have so much access to it today. You can take up your phone, click on a few things, and, and you'll be part of God's word straight away. It's amazing. People in the past, people around the world would, would, would die to be able to do that. But do we do it? Is God's word sitting on a shelf or is it sitting in our hearts? Um, in a couple of weeks' time, we're starting a discipleship explored course. It's in your notice sheets. Um, as a chance, read to think about what does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? What does it mean to be equipped to put on this armour, to, to live for God's? Um, why not come and join us for that? So, chance a new course, new start. Um, some people have done the course. One person told me it's the best course they've ever done. Um, why not join us with that? And have a word with me afterwards. And um, really get to grips with God's word. Or if you don't read the Bible regularly yet, why not think about committing to do that? There's, again, there's lots of ways that can help you do that, make it easier for you. Um, maybe have a chat with me afterwards about that. But let's take God's word seriously. That we can be equipped for life to serve God, no matter what. Let's pray.